What is up, fools? It is, wow, it is April 2021 already. I can't even believe it. Welcome to the QTR Podcast. I hope you can hear me through my five masks. Gotta gotta 5X them up. Can't be too careful nowadays. This podcast, like all my podcasts, is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout out my patrons. I'm going to give you the two rules for today's podcast, and we're going to be well on our merry way down the rabbit hole with my dear friend, Dave Collum who somehow still has his job at Cornell, which is fantastic. I'm very happy for him. If you had told me that two years ago, when he first started coming on the podcast, they're going to fucking fire this guy. But I'm glad he's still there. Colm prevails, and we'll talk about how he prevailed uh, with the uh, the incident in Buffalo, which is something we talked about last time he was on my podcast. But first, let's do some housekeeping. I want to shout out my friends over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion. Why? Because they've been in business for 10 years. They've done over $3 billion in sales. They have a great track record. They turn around my orders very quickly. They always have a large amount of bullion in stock. I just love ordering from JM Bullion. It is the only place in recent memory that I have ordered any gold and silver bullion from, so they've been able to fulfill my needs, in terms of bullion at least. I have other needs that we can talk about some other time, but uh, JM Bullion does a great job. QTR podcast listeners can email the lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com if they want some personalized service and don't feel like rooting around on the website, which is very easy to use anyways. Uh, but if you want to speak to somebody there and make an order, or maybe you have questions, or maybe it's the first time you've ordered bullion, so you don't know what the hell to do, uh, email Laura. She'd be more than happy to help you out. Tell her QTR sent you. My friends at JM Bullion. This podcast is also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform, one of my favorite forums to hang out and read macro. A lot of people talk macro there. I do a lot of reading. Uh, you may bump into me on the Rebel Capitalist Pro forums at some point. George Gammon came together with Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh to put together a wonderful platform where really they're trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do, which is just get to the bottom of how to invest in a world where central bankers are completely out of control. They do weekly live streams. They do weekly Q&As. So if you become a member, you get access to Lynn Alden, to George Gammon, to Chris McIntosh. It's really a nice, uh, cheap little uh, supplement. If you're into macro, you think, uh, you know, furthering your view in macro can kind of help your investing or just help you understand the world a little bit better. I think that you'll find Rebel Capitalist Pro very valuable. Uh, the link to that is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, my two friends that have put together a little piece of software called The Steam Room. You ever heard of it? These two household names have put together the Steam Room, which is a beautiful piece of software that helps you monitor market flow, tape flow, and really any kind of action in the illiquid options market. This can be great information because a lot of times it'll help precede moves. It'll telegraph moves in the uh, in the equities market. And so if you're looking for the guys that were the original OGs of tracking unusual options activity and the guys that do it better than anybody else also happen to be nice guys who I know, who I trust, who are honest, who will work with you. They'll give you a 30-day free trial. Check out Wall Street Jesus and Sanglucci over at the Steam Room. That link is in my podcast description. And tell them QTR sent you. They'll hook you up with whatever you want. This podcast also brought to you by The Trader's Path, which is one of my favorite 
investing and day trading services. If you're looking for a community to surround yourself with, daily watch lists, live streams, investor education, if you're an active trader, The Trader's Path is a great place to hang out. It's run by my dear friend, Pete Hedgetus, another honest guy to do business with. He started his platform for the same reason I started my podcast, because I got tired of the nonsense and bullshit that everybody else was putting out. He got tired of the same bullshit and said, you know what, fuck it, I'm doing it myself. I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm doing this shit myself. And here we all are together, one big happy fucking family. This podcast also brought to you by... Corvus Gold, my friends over at Traders for a Cause, Chris Bede, Ken R., Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, Camila Soul. Thank you guys for your continued support and some of my newest patrons like Julie Bissett, Daniel Roby, Bretton Woods, Matthew Allen, Chris H., everybody that checked in on PayPal. Thank you so much, Marco Vitti. I know you were there. A couple of my other brothers, one of you, uh, Vincent, I think I sent you an email. Thank you. William Herbert, Bill Brewster, my friend Andrew, thank you for signing up. And how about some patrons that have been with me for a minute that continue to support like Aqua Bear and Chris Hicks. I appreciate you, my friend. And how about two more? We'll do Wayne and Phantom Dills. What is up? And government cheese too. All right. This podcast is a three-drink minimum, formerly a two-drink minimum, and soon to be a four-drink minimum, but right now we're at three. Three is the lucky number. Three, ladies and gentlemen, so if you're keeping track at home, make sure you put three back before we get started. This is not life advice, investment advice. Me, Dave Collum, we're not registered investment advisors. We're certainly not fucking therapists. We are not, uh, you know in any way offering any type of advice or talking about anything for any other purpose other than open-minded discussion, trying to just get to the bottom of things, the objective fact, the objective truth, so that objective truth, so that my listeners uh, can hopefully get a little bit closer to the objective truth. And now that I'm done slurring my words, uh, I think we should get started with the podcast. What do you think? All right, on the line with me today, my dear friend, my age-old friend, and we have a lot to discuss today. Dave Collum, Cornell Professor of uh, Organic Chemistry. I don't even have your bio anymore. You're the Betty R. Miller Professor of Organic Chemistry at Cornell. That's the best I can do off the top of my head. I'll just call you my friend. What's going on, Dave Collum? Oh, not much. It's been a while. Uh, I was trying to think of how many times we've done this. Must be at least a half a dozen, maybe even more. So uh, so it's, it's good to do it again. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. And, you know, I said in my introduction, you haven't been fired, and I haven't been kicked off YouTube yet, so... We're towing uh, some kind of line successfully here. Wonders never cease, right? That's exactly right. I'm kind of like, uh, I'm wondering what the pay line is for me to retire voluntarily. Ah, Um, it's got a nice ring to it. Yeah. Yeah, when somebody else announces it too, you know, like the dean. Dave Collum has tendered his retirement voluntarily. You're sitting at home like, (laughs) Yeah, with a gun to my head, right? (laughs) I think the uh, my opponents have realized they've been trying to lay gloves on me so many times. I think maybe they're getting tired of losing. Well, that's good. Maybe you're just rope a doping them, you know? Yeah. Tiring them out. So, listen, I got a million things I want to talk about. There are a lot of things going on. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is Bitcoin, because I don't think it's something that we've talked about at length before. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And we're at peak hysteria. And, you know, right before I uh, right before you offered to come on and talk today, I was 
I was reading uh, tweets from a couple days ago from Michael Saylor, who you know basically is tweeting out, "Gold is dead." You know, I was like, "Okay, all right, thank you, Michael Saylor." Um, and so uh, I figured, let's pick Dave Collins' brain. What do you think about Bitcoin, Dave? Well, my views on it haven't changed, but the price action tells me that it, it sure as hell is doing well. Um, there's big players in the game now, and there seems to be entry of more big players. And, you know, and so if I were a Bitcoin hodler, I, I've had some epiphanies. Here, here's one epiphany. We no longer know who the, the richest people in the world are because there could be Bitcoin hodlers out there who are worth more than the famous rich guys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, did, I did a little math at one point. <clears throat> someone posted an old interview where they were talking about Stacy Herbert and Max Kaiser having um, having ten thousand Bitcoin at five bucks a coin. And I did a little quick math. I said, "Holy moly, that's five hundred million dollars!" And then you realize that the, the Bitcoin has, and, and they might have more. Because it's not like they were broke or anything. So, and they've been Bitcoin holders for a long time. So, for all I know, that's old news, and that they're uh, they're billionaires, right? What an amazing thing! Um, there could be billionaires out there who have not, who barely reached puberty. It's that surreal. So, I just don't know if someone got in, you know, bought a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin at you know a, a penny a piece. They're doing pretty well. Um, and so those people have to exist. And then, of course, the guys who really went in bigly, they uh, haven't only knows what they're worth. Now, can those guys liquidate? I don't know, but there's players coming in. Now, here's the deal. I still stand rigidly, rigidly, stubbornly, obstinately by my view that they're going to have to do battle with central bankers before this is over. And I right. think the central bankers are chirping about the risks of Bitcoin. I got really, you know, guys like Wang out there destroying the system. You're worried about Bitcoin, right? Um, the Bitcoin in no way is systemically risky as I can see. So the Bitcoiners are just going to lose their shirts. If they, if they lose their shirts, that's all they're going to lose. And, and so they don't, I don't think the system's at risk with Bitcoin and, you know, I was on the phone this morning for about an hour with Mark Cahotas. It's kind of a soulmate. And uh, I kept asking how many more Huangs are out there, and I nobody knows, right? So there's some real bouncing baddies out there waiting to go off. And, you know, so I'm sympathetic to the hodlers, not as much so simply because they're stinking rich, and so I'd like to wring their necks for that. But that's a separate issue. Um, they ride me like a donkey for not being a hodler, and for being a gold bug, um, I'm okay with that. Let them have their fun. I'm like I'm like Juan Williams on Fox News, um, <laughs> and, and so my role is to be the. So I, I'm doing a Marty Ben interview soon. He, he contacted me, says let's talk. He said we don't even have to talk about Bitcoin. I go, I, you don't want a whipping boy. You don't want a Christian in the Coliseum to to, to, to release the lions on. Um, but it sure as hell is interesting. My concern, the reason I maintain concerns, is all these guys jumping in. You know what your your buddies are and your interviewers are like. They will buy anything that's running. Right. They will chase GameStop. They will chase anything that's moving. Yep. And big leverage will do that. These are not strong hands. And I don't know the demographics of the strong hands versus the weak hands. But when some famous money manager says, yeah, we're long Bitcoin, that could be at lunchtime, not necessarily at dinner time. And so uh, 
And so you just don't know. And, and at some point, we're going to get answers or we're not going to. Maybe it'll just keep going up. Um, but I will say also, if it, if it does succeed, it's inflationary. And you go, oh, how's that? Well, it's, it's, it's money, right? By, by a legitimate argument, it's money, right? It's not a currency, but it's, in my opinion, but it is kind of a money. I, you get all tangled up in the vocabulary, but, but it is perceived wealth that you can use to buy shit. So that's money. Um, and, and it came from nowhere. So it has affiliated with no wealth creation. So it's the world all of a sudden has over a trillion dollars of money that, that, that it didn't have before. So that, that's inflation. Now, it's not the hodler's problem. For them, it's the best kind of inflation imaginable. But it, it is inflation. And if it went to 10 trillion or 20 trillion, 100 trillion, then they're competing with the central banks to destroy the system at that point. Yeah, so what do you think happens? You said they're going to have to go to war with central banks. Do you think they wind up trying to embrace it? I mean, there's a real too big to fail case for Bitcoin, right? Well, you know, I, I don't know. You know, the bigger they get, the more the too big to fail makes sense. But, you know, the entire U.S. monetary system was based on gold and that wasn't too big to fail, right? Yeah, that's right. So um, so I, I just don't know. I, I do believe that the central banks at the bottom of their hearts don't want Bitcoin to win. Yeah, they, they couldn't, right? Right. So you're going to be going up against Lagarde and, 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 and Yellen and, and uh, J-Po and those guys, every central banker. So it's going to be battle of the bastards at some point, I think. And, and what we don't know, and I know that the retail hodlers like the fist pump like crazy and say, you know, they can't touch us. I go, I jeepers, you know, I think they can. Right. I do now, too. At the end, at the end of this battle of the bastards, they may still be on their feet, but I think they're going to have gash marks on them. Right. And, 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 and I, I, again, I'm not wishing them ill. I just think it has to occur. This is just, this is a showdown coming. This is, you know, this is like, you know, China, Taiwan, who knows what this is, but this is, this is coming. I, I don't know when, I don't know how. Um, and, and I am not qualified to, to understand the defense mechanisms and the vulnerabilities of the hodlers. Uh, I just don't have that skill. Yeah. And you look at, I was reading an article that in December of last year, 2020, the regulators were urging, uh, FinCEN to try to do something to prevent, you know, money laundering using Bitcoin. And you have to think, even if it survives, that they, you know, kind of maim it like that or it just becomes, you know, very highly regulated. And then the case becomes, well, does regulation legitimize it and say, all right, well, now this is an actual asset or does regulation delegitimize it and say, all right, well, it's not the it's not the, you know, asset that exists outside the system the way that we thought. And with you know, Coinbase bringing on this former from the SEC I saw uh, earlier th uh, this week or last week. It certainly feels to me that they're setting up to securitize it and and regulate it. Right. And, and given that they don't hesitate to let finance trade any stupid imaginable thing, I, I can't imagine why somehow Bitcoin would 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 somehow fall below their unbelievably low standards for what's considered an asset class. And so um, it's, it's a better asset class than, than the other garbage out there, in my opinion. 
And uh, and so I'm, I, I don't know if legitimizing it does it. Then there's the other question, like so many things that are running hotter than a pistol right now. Um, when they stop rising, will there be a mad rush to the door, right? Can this, can Bitcoin just sort of taper off and flatten? Can, and don't get me wrong, I don't equate Bitcoin with Tesla. They're totally different zip, zip codes. But, but when Tesla is no longer making people ridiculous amounts of money for not being able to make cars, and we keep hearing they're a battery company or whatever, I don't care. Tesla's over, my massive Tesla's overpriced by a factor of 100. The big money. Hundred what? Hundred percent? No, hundredfold. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Hundredfold. So you you would say it's worth. And then actually, I can do the six, math. On six dollars per share. Well, it all yeah, it, it all you can do the math on that by just saying what percentage of the car market do they own and what's the value of the car market and therefore what's the value of Tesla. It's right. a pretty straightforward math. Um, when something that has been chased up by huge money finally stops going up and you say, well, you know, we squeezed the last bit of juice out of that orange, what next? Now, Bitcoin, I don't want the hodlers to say we're not Tesla because I know you're not Tesla. And I respect you more than I respect Tesla buyers because Tesla buyers, Bitcoiners can't price Bitcoin. There's no way to price it. I can't price gold. So I agree with them in so many ways. You can price Tesla, and it's wrong right now. It's just wrong. Yeah, well, you said, so, uh, you said hot money drove it up, you know, or bid it up, or whatever word you used was like a legitimate word, but I think it was just manipulated higher. I mean, this whole thing, like what we saw with – What are we talking about, Tesla or Bitcoin? With Tesla. What, yeah. What we saw with when you know when Bill Huang got liquidated or whatever the fuck his name is when he got Why? liquidated yeah. and GSX crashed, it's because the entire run up in GSX was just air. I think I think it was a gamma squeeze created by out of the you know purposeful out of the money call buying that drove the stock higher in order to try to squeeze shorts and mark up an underlying equity position. And I think the same thing happened not only in Tesla. But I think the same thing also happened to some degree in the NASDAQ with, uh, you know, SoftBank and Goldman Sachs coming out last year and admitting that they were in the options market and they were buying, you know, millions, if not billions of dollars in options to try to support their underlying equity position. So we have like a different kind of bubble. But I mean, when I, when I look at Tesla's move, if you look at a 10 year chart of Tesla and you look and just see what happened at the end of 2018 and how that stock went from trading normally flat to going absolutely parabolic, you would need a fucking lobotomy if you don't think that that thing is being manipulated one way or the other. And the question is, is it ever going to be looked into? And is it ever going to be investigated properly? Are we ever going to get the answers on exactly, you know, how it was Well, so I don't think you have to. I think the free market will take it behind the barn at some point. Because, again, as I was heading for, once something that is demonstrably overvalued no longer is going up, the guys want to lever up bigly and want to want to want to chase it and and make big profits. They'll say, "Okay, this game's over," and then then you go down. And boy, that trip down is fast. And so I, I think once it's no longer fun to play that game, big big bucks start exiting. And that's when that's the famous you know trite you know metaphor of going through the keyhole. 
And, and so I think Tesla's going to have its day. I could make the argument Tesla, here's a technical term, technical term. I'm not a TA guy. I'm a TNA guy maybe, but not a TA guy. Um, <laughs> but but I do think that, that, that things do kind of trade tired, and I think they do sort of roll over, and you can see kind of a, an awakening happening, and I think Tesla's awakening. Bitcoin can't possibly do that easily because – I no one can tell you what it's supposed to be worth, and so there's no way to say we've squeezed the last drop out of it. And and but I do think it's possible it it follows a similar path. I just don't know. And and the other problem here's a problem I have with Bitcoin, which I don't know how to solve. Apparently, it's very energy intensive. And when and and supposedly, and again, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but that. They're, the miners and stuff supposedly are picking up the energy tab, the servers. And it's supposedly something like 10 bucks per transaction. This is not exactly a, you know, HFT level uh, 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 surcharge, right? <clears throat> and so um, at some point, what that means is you'll never be able to buy a pizza with Bitcoin. Not sustainably, because a pizza is not worth much more than 10 bucks. And so, so at some point... That ten, if if Bitcoin stabilized at 50k, and if if it stabilized at 50k, that'd be a big win for the hodlers, in my opinion. Even stop right here and just flatline. Who's still going to pay those tabs? I don't know. And so there's a lot of things about Bitcoin I just don't know. I, you know, to the extent that it's probably cannibalizing gold's demand. You know, I, I kind of like Bitcoin to go away a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not sadistic enough to think that way. Really. Well, it's just like you just said, the free market will uh, take it outside at some point if that's the case. Right? So the free market will take Tesla down to its fair value. I don't think you have to investigate. Them. And also, too, this Kathy Wood, who is riding the coattails of, you know, I saw an article yesterday that said Kathy Wood outsmarted the rest of the market. It's like she didn't outsmart the no, rest she, of the market. She just bought the red hot shit. Right, exactly. Don't say she so, outsmarted the, the market because shit. somebody came in and manipulated the fuck out of Tesla stock, in my opinion. And if she happened to catch that tailwind, does that mean that she was in the right place at the right time? Or does it mean that she outsmarted the market? I mean, come on. And by the well, way, you know, that, that fucking ARC fund that she has trades like a 3X levered NASDAQ, too. So, right. and now they're buying each other's ETFs. I mean, if a stiff breeze hits the fucking NASDAQ at some point, it's going to be it's gonna be an interesting shit show. Statistically, right, this is a fool by randomness concept where if you have 500, you know, dart chucking monkeys or as I like to say monkey monkey chucking darts um the 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 some are going to hit the target and Kathy Young hit the target and so uh so she took a wild hairy ass guess uh it worked someone had to Helen Keller could have thrown a dart and hit the target um with some luck and so 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 the, the existence of a Kathy Young is necessarily part of the system you have to have those you get a guy like Bill Miller, who I think does know what he's doing. Remember, he had 13 years in a row above the S&P, and he got deified. Deified. And not criticizing him, but during the 0809 crisis, he gave the entire gain back. He, the entire gain. He regressed to his own mean in a very, very hard way because he was very long in the banks. And so this shit happens. Remember during the dot-com. I can remember one name, but not two. There's a guy named Jeff Rona. 
And there is another guy named Clark something. I just, I, if anyone knows his name, send it to me. I think his name was Clark. And these guys were just right. These were like 300% annualized gain guys. They were on CNBC. And I remember watching Rona and he was kind of sort of hanging out in the shadows while I was being interviewed. I sensed that he knew that this game was farcical. And, and the winners of the dot-com craze are now post-its, right? They're not famous people. Jack Grubman, how'd that work? That was great, right? He was the superstar of WorldCom fame, right? He wasn't. He didn't own it. He he was the analyst who told everyone to buy WorldCom. I, by the way, made seven hundred percent of WorldCom and got the fuck out. How many people did that? And the problem was, is I, at the time, I thought I was smart. I was just purely lucky. Some guy told me to buy it when it was a tiny company. I bought it, sold it because I was scared of the entire dot com craze, and I somehow just got lucky. That was not a good analysis it was just dumb luck yeah so let's uh let's switch gears for a second and talk about uh what happened in buffalo which was another topic that me and you discussed during our last podcast uh with the uh, the man who went up to the police officer who was subsequently <laughs> uh pushed or you know just at some point gravity took over and the man wound up falling over and cracking his head and you know you wrote about this in your year in review which i don't even think i've talked to you since your year in review i have uh, not we were going to do a podcast in january and then it just kind of faded off you yeah know? well i read the whole thing and that's probably why i looked you up then and uh and it was that's fucking well, great. i figured and that's it, i figured that's why you stopped calling it was <laughs> well i'm just disorganized and a mess but the, the year in review was great and i encourage everybody to go back read dave Collins' year in review it's on uh peak prosperity and it's on zero hedge but one of the things one of the big points of argument that me and you had uh last year one of the things that we discussed was that incident in buffalo where the guy walked up to the police officer started waving something around him and wound up on his ass and then in an ambulance and bleeding out of his ears and that was the big incident that you know had you shut down your twitter account for a couple of days right. and so yeah you and what, i were joined at the hip on that one it was your tweet that caused me to respond that caused me to get five thousand signatures to be fired yeah. five thousand signatures well next time they better get five thousand and one yeah i'm not talking to you anymore though that's the bottom line. um <laughs> so what happened so, since then they they that went to trial right no no what happened oh, no no they pulled the charges so here's what happened. So where you and I disagreed was you you posted something. You said, this is really appalling. And I remember vividly, I said, look, I'm, I got to take the other side of this argument. What was the guy doing there, right? Why was he there? What was he doing? And then I said, the thing that got me in most trouble was I said, you know, that was kind of a self-inflicted wound. And you and I, um, I think we disagreed. And then what happened was... Um, all of a sudden, my Twitter feed went batshit. Next thing I know, my email box goes batshit. Next thing I know, my department associate chair emails me. He said, my email box is filling up with complaints. And then you sent me a DM. You said, you know, that guy who, uh, who, who doxed you just deleted his tweet. And I had no idea what you are talking about. And you, you showed me a, the guy's tweet. I don't know if you screen grabbed it or whatever. And it turns out some guy with 3 million followers put a bat to me. And then deleted his tweet. Now, I have several thoughts on why he deleted his tweet. One 
standard thought was that he said it. He saw me getting doxxed and said, fuck, I got to get out of here because I don't want to be the guy who doxxed somebody. Right. The other theory I have is that, that I think there were largemouth bass lurking in the weeds waiting to get me because if you actually watched the, um, the, the beatings, um, you actually, um, you, you could see history in them. I, I went to battle with grad students over a unionization effort. They were, they were front and center. I somehow got this feeling that it happened so efficiently, so quickly that, that it was organized, that it was pre-organized. They were just waiting for some moment. And the guy was part of that. And so I thought maybe he was a channel, one on channel. So when I shut down my Twitter feed, I started getting asked to be followed. Of course, I dissed all those. I don't need any new followers that night. And one of them was the, one of the stars from the West Wing. And I looked up his Twitter feed, and he was total super lefty. I'm going, why is some guy from the fucking West Wing trying to follow me now? What's that all about? And so, in any event, so shitstorm ensues. I don't know if I'm getting fired or not. Um, I'm in communication with my, I was chair, he was associate chair, he's now chair, and he's giving me little tidbits. He's nervous as hell about what's happening. The university's on DEFCON, and uh, they ended up putting out a content-free statement saying I'm a douchebag. Um, <laughs> and then, and then the, 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 the story that follows is, there's plenty of evidence that the whole fucking thing was a hoax. The whole thing was a hoax. There's plenty of evidence he never got hurt. Nothing happened to him. The cops got... Come they, on. They, no, no. You didn't read it, dude. I did. I read it. I just want to hear you say it. Well, so what happened was the blood's coming out of his ear, and I consulted with a half a dozen doctors. They all said, the blood does not squirt out of your ear like that. You're right. That's bullshit. You get a head injury, the blood can come out of your ear after the pressure builds up. It doesn't come out to equal zero. It doesn't come out at the beginning. The guy's laying there, and he's out cold, but his feet are crossed. If you're out cold, your feet are splaying. His feet are crossed. He's not out cold. Then all of a sudden, you look at... You look at uh, uh, you look at slow mos, and the guy was skimming the goddamn policeman's belt for digital information. That I saw. Have, that I right? saw. He was definitely doing right? something. Yup. And and then it turns out the mayor of Buffalo said the guy had been a pest all week long. So there's all sorts of backstory. And then the video surfaced showing him in an f- argument before the event, arguing with a bunch of people, which it's clear that th- they're saying that this guy is going to pick a fight with the cops and they're arguing with him that that's a bad thing to do. And so he was setting up that push. Then there's a picture of him laying on the gurney, propped up at a 45 degree angle with something wrapped around his fucking head. He had no abrasions on the back of his head. You, you crack your skull. No abrasions. There's no hair and he has no abrasions. No, thank you. That didn't happen. He's talking on his fucking cell phone. He's on his cell phone. Then you find out that no one can find him in the hospital. CNN can't get to him. No one can that get to him. That I remember. Only, yeah. Didn't his the lawyer? Only the only information you're getting out of that is that his lawyers are telling you how badly he's doing. CNN said we couldn't get to him. Excuse me, you could have. They could have gotten to him. I'm talking to HIPAA experts, and they're telling me how you can prevent anyone from not only not getting info, but you can prevent using HIPAA laws anyone from knowing you're in the hospital. So no one knows where he is. And they're talking about how he's having trouble walking, according to his lawyers. Everything's according to his lawyers. The whole thing was bullshit. 
There is now a federal lawsuit, but he got like 80K out of GoFundMe. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the lawsuit because that'll require discovery. There might be a settlement, out-of-court settlement. Who knows what? You, you, you pay him off. You tell him to shut the fuck up and go home. But there's no evidence he got hurt. There's none. At all. So where where are we now? Why did I feel like, what did they do? Did they do an investigation of the officers? Is that what I was thinking of that happened recently? Well, they had them, they had them listed as, you know, sort of uh, persona non grata, but then they just released them. They just, they, the grand jury found nothing. So I, I, there's I, there's no way to know what they, what, what led them to find nothing, but the officers are free and clear now. Yeah, here it is. On June 6th, officers Robert McCabe and Aaron Torgalski were charged with second-degree assault, a felony. Following a virtual arraignment that day, at which McCabe and Torgalski pleaded not guilty, they were released without bail while awaiting a felony hearing. Right. Erie County District Attorney John Flynn announced on February 11th, 2021, so this is about two months ago, that a grand jury had dismissed the charges against the officers. The grand right. jury hearing ha- had been delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So the grand jury right. looked at it and they said, there's nothing here. Right. Yeah. So the bottom line is I got canceled for supporting the cops against the pest who faked a fall. Right. Well, I, you know, the, the faking of the fall is up in the air, but he was definitely a pest. And, uh, well, he was a pass he went looking for, and I would argue he faked it. It's possible he didn't fake it, but he sure as hell was looking for the fight. And I'm some cop, and I'm in a war zone, and some guy gets in my way, I'd push him too. Well, I agree with you that if you're going to walk up to the cops who were clearly they were blanketing the area trying to get people out of that fucking town square. So if you're walking right. and, and I'm watching the video again as we're talking, if you're walking directly at them or with, while they're walking directly at you and you're preventing them from moving and then you're you're scanning them. Yeah. And he really, you know, this cop. Eh, let me just watch it one more time here. Yeah. He gave him a little shove, you know, I, eh. wasn't much. I don't know. The, what inter- if way, the, the was- video doesn't really have. Uh, maybe it's just the video I'm watching, but the video I'm watching doesn't show his head hitting the ground. If, yeah, I think you can hear it. I think his head did hit the ground. But if you, uh, well, then if, if his head for- hit the ground, then he didn't fake it. Well, no, it depends on how hard it hit the ground. And if he was looking for the trouble and he knew what he was looking to achieve, you don't know what he did. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. But he but- wasn't out cold. He wasn't out cold. I think it's less likely that he faked the fall. I mean, if you're going to fake the fall, you're not going to slam your fucking head into the pavement. The fake fall was unclear to me. A lot of people said, oh, they watched it and said, oh, that's clearly he he took the dive. That's not as obvious to me. He faked the catastrophic result. Yeah, I'm watching it on loop here. He's definitely, he's walking up to this guy and he's got a fucking phone or something. And he's like trying to. He's got a skimmer. Yeah, he's, he's trying to scan the guy's shit on his belt. And then he pushes right. him. And then, he, you know, he does kind of like a, like a, uh, it is, I, I don't know if it's embellished at all. I don't know. Maybe I watched. No, I'm not convinced it's embellished either. But what I'll tell you is this. If that guy was 35 years old, would he have fallen? No, no way. Right. No way. So the fact of the matter is the reason he fell was not because of the shove. It's because he was a feeble old man. Right. 
in the middle of a you know protest. In the middle of a war zone. Right, right. And this guy gave him a you know one hand. He gave him a you know a push. Yeah. And then uh, they also uh, blew up the fact how callous the cops were. And when you listen to the audio, and they so the the the, the news didn't play the audio, and they didn't extend the video. And if you play the audio and extend the video, you hear the cops being very professional. You hear one guy start to, you see one guy start to bend down to help. The other guy says, stay in formation. A medic is coming. Right. So the guy stands up. They walk past him. Right. And about three seconds after the news cut off the video, a medic shows up. Right. And so the news did what the news does best. They lied. It's that bad. Flynn and said, so, so they blew it up. So there was a medic. So the cops weren't callous about it. They dealt with it with military precision. Erie County District Attorney John Flynn said he stood behind the decision to charge the officers, but blamed Cugino for breaking a curfew that was in place to quell protests against police brutality in the wake of George Floyd. There was right. there was probable cause at that time to charge that offense, and I stand by that. Uh, we as a society give the police authority to use force. The question in every police-involved matter comes down to whether or not the force crossed a line. Flynn said that Mr. Cugino committed a crime and broke the curfew. He had no business confronting police officers. And that's, right. that's the DA. That's the guy that charged the officers saying that. Right. But so. you could argue he's in cahoots with the cops. You could argue he sandbagged the case too, right? Sure, sure. The DA could present a case, but the, but the grand jury wasn't. The, the grand jury found nothing. Right. In a, in a period in history where grand juries might have been pretty sensitive about finding brutality. Right. And this is why nuance is important because it's right. a it's a very incendiary scenario. There are things that you've said that I don't necessarily agree with, like, you know, like the whole thing was faked or whatever, but that's fine. But at the end of the day, you turned out to be on the right side of it in terms of at least whether or not the officers have any criminal liability, according to a grand jury, which right. is the system that we have here in this country to adjudicate these things. And you may recall the original Twitter exchange you and I had was that I didn't come out, I wasn't guns blazing. I was almost apologetically saying, I got to take the other side of this one. Right. Sort of regrettably. I think that's and exactly I started what you said. said in a very conservative way, I, I don't know why that old man was there. Right. right. So you came out with a, you know, what what the fuck were the cops doing kind of tweet. And I came back and said, I'm going to take the other side of that. Right. And so it wasn't irrational. I wasn't spouting nonsense. I was just saying, I think there's another side to that story. Yeah. And I can see your I can see your side to the story, too, as I continue to right. watch it over and, and over. And then all of a sudden, it, it makes I got 5,000 people trying to get me fired. So, you know what? You know what I think of those 5,000 people? Well, you know, what do you, what do you think about censorship in general? Let's talk about let's this is a good segue because I saw a couple of days ago that YouTube is now banning the dislike button and there's speculation that that may be in response to Joe Biden's videos getting a bunch of dislikes and I just tweeted out, you know, last week or a couple of days ago or whatever that the idea that there's no bias here is ridiculous. I mean, Twitter banned the standing president of the United States from its platform while, you know, all these, uh, you know, dictators have a platform on Twitter. They the standing The standing president of the United States, he was still in office when they banned him. And then leading up to the election, 
You couldn't talk about the Hunter Biden story. You couldn't talk about Joe Biden doing business in China, which was arguably a very material piece of information. You couldn't talk about the election. For the right, talk about for the, the country to consider. Right. And now we have this where it's like, oh, okay, well, all of a sudden all these dislikes show up on Joe Biden's video and uh, Google says, well, you know, we're not going to do the dislikes anymore. You know, it's for certain other reasons. Content creators have expressed concern to us. It's like, come on, are we really supposed to believe there's no bias, Dave? Well, the other thing is you, you couldn't talk about alternatives to the vaccine. Now you can because the vaccine's out there and running, so they don't care. But you were getting knocked off Twitter fast if you provided alternative narratives about the vaccine. And he- so, 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 uh, charitably, I would call uh, the digital world a bunch of authoritarians. Um, less charitably, I call them a bunch of Nazis. Yeah, it's it certainly feels like they're usurping power here that doesn't really... And, and, let, me, and let me add to those people, I, I call myself a libertarian. I'm libertarian light. There's anarchists and there's guys who just think government should be small. In a previous era, I would have just been a conservative. But the conservatives suck balls now, so so I'm now a libertarian. But, but those who say it's a private company, I go, dude, you can't block blacks from coming in your diner there's all sorts of things that we've decided are just no longer kosher and i think kicking someone off a social media platform for political views is not kosher it's just not kosher and i think the supreme court has completely let us down by not stepping into this one and picking up a case and deciding that and and they say well it's a private company go well what do you how do you explain the fact that when gab tried to go go sort of free free speech they destroyed them so Visa tried to destroy them, and Twitter and these guys tried. I would destroy Visa if I had my way for doing that. I would take Visa down to the studs for doing that. That is constitutional level pissing me off. Well, and it's it's important that we can talk about things because this Buffalo thing is a perfect example, right? It happened. Right. Everybody came in with hot takes. I came in with my first impression. You came in with your first impression. We're meeting somewhere in the middle, but only because we've been able to discuss it for several months and, you know, we're able to reconsider what each person says. And so that kind of uh, constant whittling away to get to what uh, ultimately you think the objective truth is, is so important. And you can't fucking do that unless you have people from all sides of the spectrum, whether it's a political issue, whether it's a health care issue, whether it's a civil liberties issue. You can't do that unless you have participants from all over the spectrum to discuss it, right? Well, they don't care though. So, so, so um, and the media, the media, someone said it well, the media used to challenge power and they simply don't do that anymore at all. And so the media has let us down. There's special constitutional protections for media. There should be special responsibilities for media. They're not doing it. Again, a libertarian, a true anarchy level libertarian would say it's none of your business to worry about that. Um, I, I still worry about it. I, I worry about it because there's, there's, no there's no one minding the store. There is no Woodward and Bernstein left. There's bloggers. But, but there's not, the, media, the media's business model, here's how I phrase it. The media's business model has failed so badly they've turned to prostitution. Yeah, and I'm wondering whether or not we're going to see a natural backlash to it. Someday. 
I but mean, they're trying to go at Substack now, and 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 you know, Substack is, is is sort of free speech. And now on Twitter, you can't post anything from BitChute on Twitter. No BitChute posters. So what you have to do is post the message, and then give the search terms that will get you to that to that video. Yeah, I mean that's just it's just a little ridiculous. It's just a little, and the internet is just so broad that the idea of trying to police the entire internet is just, uh, it seems like a fruitless waste of resources. I mean, even if you're just, if you say you're like Mr. Left Wing or Mr. Right Wing and you believe so dearly that your ideology is the dominant ideology, the one that's going to bring us to the promised land together, and you're running one of these companies, the, the amount of time and effort and resources and capital that you would have to spend to try to, even just for you know, a contained portion of the internet, which would be ostensibly just your social media platform. It's just ridiculous. There's so many, there's so many double standards. There's so many slippery slopes to go down. It's just, uh, I don't know. It just seems fruitless. Well, so the, the other problem is we're, we're now in the age of the narrative. Here's a funny one. I won't name names, but someone who really knows this world could probably figure out what I'm talking about. But I got an email from a Stanford psychologist, a couple of them. And they were doing a survey on proper methods in chemistry. Normally, this would be a delete here, but I happened to catch this on the fly before hitting delete. It said, if you'd like to chat about it, here's my, my phone number. And I'm going, holy fuck, these guys are serious, right? So I do a little due diligence to make sure they're not a couple of social justice warriors setting me up to take some something about, you know, grievance study crap. And... Um, and they were legit. He was agnostic. And the other guy was kind of a soulmate. And I'm going, oh, I like this other guy. But this one guy was okay. And his expertise is in narratives and, and, and how you message things. That's what his, his shtick is. And so I, I say, yes, I'll do it. You pass the tough test. I'll do your survey. Meantime, I went and Googled him. I went and looked him up on YouTube, and I found a seminar he gave. And the top link was a seminar from 2016 on climate change. And he was talking about how you convey the narrative on climate change. And I watched him, and he stayed pretty neutral on it. And he looked at, you know, sort of when you say this, how do people respond? And if an expert counters something, how do they respond? So he was really trying to scholarly choose this idea of how do you convey this very, very big and perceived important narrative. Now, he picked it because he perceived it to be an important narrative. He's not worried about how do you convey a narrative about uh, about uh, whether ho-hos are bad for you, right? <laughs> and so um, and so, so I, I watched it, and then I sent him an email. I said, okay, now I'm going to fess up. Uh, I said, I think the climate change narrative is total crap. And I said, three years ago, I believed it. Two years ago, I wrote about how how uh, if I was pushed to, to say, I would say climate change is absolutely real, uh, but I'm too ignorant to really formulate an opinion that anyone should give a damn about, and that I was astonished how many scientists I knew who were as ignorant as me just saying, yep, there's climate change, right? And I'm going, there's very few people who are qualified to say there's climate change, very few. And so, so then I had colleagues say, Dave, you got to dig into it. You got a lot of followers, you got a big platform, a lot of people read your stuff, you owe it to the world. And they were climate changers. So I, in 2019, I spent hundreds of hours reading about climate change. 
And I concluded that it was total crap. And I explained this to the guy. And I said, I wrote 25 pages on it. And it was a surreal journey. And there's a trillion dollars a year spent on climate change. If it's a hoax, that all goes away. So who's going to find it to be a hoax? Nobody. It's an incredible cash cow for the climate change community. And I went through and there's just lies and frauds and, and, and bad science and bad data and activism and cancel culture and everything all over. And there's and the, the one thing you discover very fast that there's some very, very prominent and unambiguously talented scientists saying it's complete crap. So that notion that no one with a, with a half a brain doesn't believe it, that's the biggest and the first lie you get hit with. There are Nobel Prize winning physicists saying not just they don't believe the models, they're saying the whole story is crap. So I went through the whole thing and I got the end. I, and I told him this. I said, so I'm done. He had mentioned a guy named Steve Schneider in his talk. I said, Schneider, for example, is a follow the narrative guy. I found him repugnant. I found his willingness to follow the narrative at any cost to be absolutely inexcusable for a scientist. And he emails me back and he says, I went down that same rabbit hole and I came to the same conclusion. Now, this is not just a, a smart guy reading about climate change saying he doesn't believe it. This is a guy who's an expert on narratives saying, I don't believe it. So I could fall into narrative traps. This guy should not. And he says he came to the same conclusion. So he's reading my write-up on it right now. It says he wants to talk after he's done. And it'll be a fascinating discussion. I mean, do you believe Do you believe that the climate is uh, not changing? Or do you believe that the climate is changing and the response to it is out of control? Well, so, so it's always changing. I believe that the, the data is so garbled that we really don't have a coherent narrative. I believe that in no way is it a crisis. And I believe that the solutions, while there will be um, synergies that come out of them, right? Better solar cells, better this, better that, you know, there will be techno technological gains. But I believe that the solutions that we're spending huge amounts of money on can't solve the problem. And therefore, they will be a massive waste of money. And yeah. that I think that humans, that the level of change that we may be looking at, if it's real, or if it's man-made, is far more easily dealt with by adapting than by trying to stop the change. It's just funny when, like, you see guys like Mark DeFont, who I talked to uh, last week or two weeks ago. I mean, he's a geologist. He's not freaked out about it. I mean, he's not a climate scientist specifically, but he's a fucking geologist. I mean, he understands the earth. He understands, you know, he's a scientist, right? And then, you know, I, I, I hear guys like Randall 20. Carlson on Joe Rogan's program who obviously knows what he's talking about. Yeah, but bigger guys than that even. So the guy, here are doubters. Here are some doubters. Uh, the chairman of Hebrew University's physics department. Now tell me an Ashkenazi Jew at Hebrew University chairs the physics department who's a solar physicist. Tell me he doesn't have credibility. He says there's not a shred of evidence CO2 is doing anything to the temperature. Not a shred, he says. He writes the Forbes op-ed. They delete it within a couple hours. The head, former head, MIT geologist, former head of the National Academy of Sciences, said it was the biggest hoax in history. The head of NASA's 
temperature monitoring, satellite monitoring program, doesn't believe any of it. The former founder of Greenpeace says the whole thing is a scam. Yeah, I saw him. I mean, these are serious players. A lot of Nobel Prize winners, physicists especially. Freeman Dyson said the whole thing's a joke. Happer from Princeton, who was former presidential advice, science advisor, says it's, it's, it's all just simple physics and it's stupid. And, and, the, and you know what they do? They get accused of getting money from big oil. Right, I, yep. can't, I can't even find one shred of a paper trail that connects big oil to the deniers. Well, that's just the, that's just the, you know, scapegoat du jour. I mean, you can say something critical about, you say, I think Tesla stock is overvalued. And people say, oh, big oil's paying you. It's just like, what? Yeah. Like, fucking people, what are right. you talking about? But that's the problem. So it's like listening to Anthony Fauci after he lies to you about 20 times. You start saying, you know, I'm going to stop believing him. So I told him, that this psychologist from Stanford, I said, look, I've reached the point where I can't read it anymore. I've got nothing left to give to this effort. And the problem is, if it's right, then <coughs> then then they've blown it because they lost me. And, and I said, and here's the problem. I'm still happy to tell people I think it's bullshit. So if I'm now uncorrectable, I'm also damaging. But I don't think I'm wrong. You know, there's pictures of polar bears starving, right? You know that that that, that polar bear on the ice floe, and you go, oh my god, look at that, the polar bear starving. Let's all cry together for a while, right? The fucking polar bear population has increased threefold since the 1970s. Threefold. <laughs> the the ice that's melting, the glaciers. You know those glaciers where the ice is melting, right? Well, there's other places where the ice is growing. They tend to forget about that part. But really what's really important here is that what is underneath those glaciers? What are they finding? They're finding trees that are 1,200 years old. What that means is those trees grew there 1,200 years ago, which means it was warmer 1,200 years ago. Right. And then they're, they're finding Neolithic artifacts, human artifacts underneath the glaciers as they recede. And the articles are always really quick to say, but this doesn't mean there's not global warming. I go, yes, it does. Yeah, it, 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 it really does tell you that there was no glacier there, you know, within the last few thousand years. And so, so I kept finding this over and over again, every narrative. Then there's Climate Gate, where it was total fraud. And, and the, the temperature charts, they're jiggering them like crazy. So it, when, you're, when your entire funding base depends on not only climate change money, but if you go against the narrative, you get kicked out of the hive and you don't get another penny, and that's happened to many people, the only scientists left are the ones who are, gonna, who are signing off on the narrative. Science has gone down the tubes in some worlds. Down the tubes on that. It's down the tubes on COVID. Well, before we go to COVID, I just want to talk about there was a headline and I'm trying to find it a uh, couple days ago. Fed urged by Democrats to increase resilience to climate risks. And yeah, so I just, I just read that. I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? The Fed, OK, the central bank, which is supposed to be an objective entity, urged by Democrats. OK, no surprise to increase resilience to climate risks. What could the Fed possibly do other than printing money and just handing it out 
to, to do that? And why is it any of their business? And what are the Democrats thinking? What is going through their brains? Well, so so here's the other thing. The Fed works on very high frequency data. So the Fed sees some money supply drop or sees some employment drop, whatever. And and they can say we're hiking rates. Then all of a sudden, a week later, they're dropping rates. Right. So they're 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 they have the attention span of a gnat. I would argue the intellectual firepower of a gnat. But that's a separate issue. But they work. If, if I were to say, what's the Fed going to be doing in a year? You couldn't possibly wager a guess. You couldn't possibly guess because they work too fast. Now they're being now they're not only being told to worry about something that's happening over a century. But they're willingly taking on that test. You know why? Because they're going to turn that into a This is why we have to print more money story. And the Fed will endorse anything that gives them the power to print more money because they're fucking idiots. All right, now we can talk about Fauci. Now that you've summed that up beautifully. Um, did you see that he came out and walked back the CDC's director's comments uh, some days ago about, first off, did you see the CDC director have a have a breakdown on camera and say that she fears for an impending doom? Yeah, it's it's like, you know, we got tens of millions of people being vaccinated now, tens of millions of people with natural immunity. You know, the war is over, okay? We fought the war and we won. All we got to do right. is just fucking mop the place up now. That's all we're right. doing. And she's on television saying, it, I feel like there's impending doom. Even Fauci said, well, I wouldn't, yeah, even, I wouldn't go that Even far. worse than that, if you boot up COVID deaths, if you search COVID deaths on Google, the top link, at least for me, is, is a New York Times website that tracks the deaths. And they're not rising. You go, okay, well, maybe the case count's rising. And you, and you change it over to case count. And there's this tiny little flicker. So here's the head of the CIA blubbering on TV about the doom. So she's just an idiot or a narrative expert or whatever. But she the, her, the, the, she's lied to me now. I will never believe her again. Fauci has been pathological. So at first I forgave him. Okay, when he said you don't have to, you shouldn't wear masks. It does no good. He was trying to preserve the mask for the medical guys. Then he right. says now you should wear a mask. Okay, so he's changing his narrative. This the, the data is changing, and or we now have masks. Whatever. I forget. I call those white lies. Right. Now a lot of people like to go that far back and blame him for that. I don't blame him for that. I'm good with but both of those. Then all of a sudden you find him stepping on therapeutic treatments. Right. It, irrationally. Irrationally. And saying shit that doesn't make sense and talking to teachers, heads of teachers unions and talking about how they shouldn't go back to school and crap like that. And you go, wait a minute, dude. So he's now infamous for moving the goalposts. I did a Twitter poll, which I got about seven to 10,000 responses. So it was way outside just my echo chamber. It escaped the echo chamber. And I did a Twitter poll, do you trust Fauci? And it was 91% no. He well, has I mean, lost that's your Twitter followers, there. though. That's not an objection. No, it's not. Because once it starts getting retweeted, it's off to the races. You're, you're 100% wrong. Because no, once, once it, it starts it, getting you're retweeted. You're totally wrong. Because it goes out to your 60,000 Twitter followers first. And they're the ones that will retweet it to their followers who are likely... Uh, majority like-minded people. But it you can't to use that data. To get to, I've, I've done Twitter polls before. And when when it stays in my echo chamber, I get 800 hits. 
When you get seven to 10,000, you escape the containment field. Ah, uh, I don't know about and that. Let me put it this way. 60,000 people, let's say it stayed totally within my Twitter following. 60,000 people, 91% think he's a liar. Yeah, but everybody that follows you, most people that follow you probably follow you because they want they want an echo chamber Because they of think he's a liar, right. So then what happens, he gets into it with Rand Paul recently, right? You saw that one. I did, yeah. So, so Rand Paul saying, look, once you're vaccinated, you don't need a mask. And Fauci's going, oh, yes, you do. And Rand Paul's saying, no, you're doing that for show. It's all theater. That's bullshit. Let people up off the mat. They get vaccinated. They get to live their lives now. Right. Fauci's de- denying it. Then what's he do? He goes on TV and does interviews. He doesn't say Rand Paul. And his argument is there's different strains. That's his argument. Clearly, he's saying that. You don't understand there's other strains. Well, here's my argument. If there's so many strains that vaccination can't keep ahead of them, game over. Time to get back to living. We're going to have to just deal with sick people. Period. We're done. I don't even need a vaccine if the vaccine doesn't do any good. So we are done. So either it works or it doesn't. So then what happens is so he goes out on TV and he starts criticizing Rand Paul for not understanding the first principles of what a mask does. And that is not what Rand Paul was saying. And Fauci, therefore, was lying, lying, lying. I hate the guy at this point. So then what happens this morning, this morning, Pfizer announces that their 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 vaccine is showing great efficacy against a variety of strains. A variety of strains. And they interview Fauci, and Fauci said, we really knew this all along, that it would give you blanket coverage for all the strains. He said it this morning. A week ago, he was saying the other strains weren't, weren't protected. A week ago. What a pathological piece of garbage. This guy's destroying lives. This guy's got suicides on his list. This guy's got destroyed lives because of him. This guy has shut down the goddamn global economy because of his goddamn mouth. His calls on COVID are as good as his pitching arm. (laughs) Well, I certainly agree that the response overshot the mark by a enormous order of magnitude. I think, but he kept lying. He kept changing his story. Too, and now, the whole well, way. now, and now it feels like this idea of like, well, you can go get vaccinated. We have the vaccine; it's widely available. Like, look what we do with the flu shot. You can get a flu shot anywhere you want. Okay, anybody's entitled to get one. You're not required to prove that you've been vaccinated to do anything. You know, with the flu shot, it's available. It's ubiquitous. It mutates every year, you know, so they have to redo the vaccine every year. People that are susceptible can go and get it. People that aren't that interested and or, you know, don't feel like it's that big of a threat don't have to get it. And that's it. And life goes on. And and the idea that, well, we have this COVID vaccine now and tens of millions of people have it. And by the way, tens of millions of people have also achieved natural immunity from this. But we have to keep wearing the masks and we have to keep, you know, in perpetuity. I don't mind if we want to, you know, well, carry me, it through until we until we get to like herd immunity or whatever. Fine, but like, you know, when the when the CDC or or, or the World Health Organization starts changing the definition of herd immunity, which they which you he know, did which right, he which did. they famously did on their website, and then there's this ongoing kind of uh, you know push 
for, uh, you know, that this is going to be something that just hangs around forever. And, you know, we're going to wear masks forever. And it's just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not fucking doing it. I'm not either. I'm not. Now, here's the other. Here's what Fauci could have said. This is an explanation for masking that I would have accepted. He could have said, look, during this transition where not everyone can yet get vaccinated, we all have to mask up because you know that if we all start unmasking, everyone will unmask and we're not done immunizing people. Right. So I'd accept that as an explanation. He didn't use that. Well, that that makes sense. That would have made sense to me. But now he chose to lie when he became a Biden sock puppet. Not to be confused with the press secretary, who I call Pesach Puppet. Um, when he became a Biden sock puppet, he started talking about how refreshing it is that he can tell the truth. And I go, did you just say you were lying? And then people started alibying for him and say, well, you know, under Trump administration, you had to do this. I said, no, you fucking quit then. You quit and you tell your story. You don't lie. And so and the guy's a loser. He's a total loser. The most trusted doctor in America is a loser. And I'm pissed off because because I, I did a tweet the other day. Name a major organization that you now trust. Do you trust the FBI? Right. Do you trust the CIA? Do you trust the SEC? Do you trust the, the IPCC? That's the climate change group. Do you trust uh, the DOJ? Do you trust, uh, name one. Give me one you trust. Is there one? I can't. We have a terrible, terrible problem where the authority, the overarching authority, World Health Organization, there's a gem and a half. Right. I mean, they're just a laughing stock at this point. Right. And they come out, page 26 of the World Health Organization says, page 26, I screen grabbed it so that when they change it, it says there is no evidence that masking helps. Holy shit, they finally told the truth. Well, and now they're also, uh, you saw Trump's former CDC director and 60 Minutes and this Atlas, you know report Atlas. coming out of China saying, uh, well, we can't rule out a lab leak. You know, we can't rule right. it out. When, uh, when eight, eight, eight months ago, ago eight months ago, you were fucking crucified for pointing out the obvious fact that there happened to be a level four biolab within several miles of where this thing supposedly started. You can't, you couldn't come up with a more common sense fucking thing to point out if you, you know, you don't even need a triple digit IQ to figure that one out. That is just the most, like, draw a straight line to the most likely place where the fucking virus may have came from. All right, well, what do we have here in Wuhan? We got a McDonald's. Probably not that. All right. Well, we got a Starbucks. Probably not that. We got a car wash. Maybe not there. No, we got a level four. We got a level four bio lab that just happened to drop in here. Maybe we should take a look. You know. And so now the idea that like, well, we can't rule it out. We can't rule it out. When eight months ago, you know, they were kicking people off Twitter for it and giving people the business for it, and you're being called a lunatic and a conspiracy theorist. It's just fucking insane. And this is how it always happens. You know, well, then you're, they you're also ahead of the came curve. out, dude, a couple weeks ago, this, this special investigative committee that went to China said it wasn't a lab leak. They spent three fucking hours. They didn't look at anything. They talked to Chinese scientists for three hours and left. Ah, done and done, right? <laughs> and, and, then, and now they're backing it up because everyone's calling bullshit on it. So now they're saying, well, you know, we got too much pushback from China. I go, then quit releasing evidence. Quit saying to the press there's no leak. 
Now, I'm not blaming China for the leak. That's the key. If you're running, if you're running a, 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 a one of these level four virology labs, the possibility of a leak is always there. And Correct. they might suck relative to our guys, but our guys could have leaked it too. Right? Where it would get real butt ugly is if somehow the narrative turned into they leaked it on purpose. And then that's a totally different story, but there's no evidence of that. I can't rule it out, but there's no evidence. Yeah, so, and it, and it's like I said, it's not. You don't have to really put the pedal to the metal in terms of using brain power to figure out that that could have been a possibility. I mean, for fuck's sake, it would be like it would be like it would be like if Wuhan had the world's largest, you know, frozen yogurt factory, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, a, a truck slid off the highway because it ran into a huge puddle of frozen yogurt that appeared to come out of nowhere would it be irris- <laughs> would it be irresponsible to to say maybe it has something to do with one of the deliveries coming out of the frozen yogurt factory or, 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 that or be- radioactivity wafting across europe in a cloud yeah like would that no- be racist you know is it is it somehow racist to say that like what why, no, can't, why can't you just fucking do some regular critical thinking good old objective meritorious based on the facts critical thinking well so that gets back to this problem that we have. We have a crisis in faith in the authorities completely, completely. So I happen to still think, here we go. I think the election was rigged. I don't know how much, but I think they just shut that down. And, and my argument for it being rigged is actually, besides the fact I think there's evidence of it, let's take away all the evidence. So here's a president who was very unpopular. He was hated by the entire Democratic establishment, essentially the entire media, foreign leaders, you name it. The CIA and the FBI and these guys clearly hated him. The Republican Party has an unknown number of haters because they got to play along so we don't get to see the Trump detractors in there because they're doing the party line thing. And they tried to take him out with obstruction of justice. They tried to take him out with scandal. They tried to take him out with Russiagate, which is a farcically bad performance. And yet they're claiming it was the cleanest election of all time. Excuse me, if they, would they forget to rig those elections? I don't think so. Now, not to mention they silenced. The rig is very good. But I don't even need the evidence to think if these guys weren't working on rigging those elections, then they are far more incompetent than I give them credit. Yeah, because they didn't want him reelected. We know that. You're leaving out the fact that 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 Tony Bobulewski story that yes. broke, you know, weeks before the election just got completely shut down. But for Tucker Carlson's interview with the guy, which I found him to be very credible. It right. just didn't, you know, the New York Post put out an article on it, and I think that was it. The New York Times didn't even the cover hunter, it. They didn't even cover hunter, it. It's like, how do you how hunter. do you not even cover it? How do you claim to be an objective news organization and not even cover it, not even mention it? It's because they're prostitutes now. The Hunter Biden laptop. Unambiguously, that thing exists. The horror is not that Hunter Biden's a crackhead. Of course, that's a problem for Hunter. That's a personal problem for Hunter. The problem is that it shows the Biden family is profoundly compromised by China. Correct. 
And therefore, anything we do between now and the end of eternity having to do with China, you know that we are over a barrel. Correct. Did you see the video of the Chinese um, inner circle guy who gave a talk to a big audience in China, one of Xi Jinping's right-hand men who's an academic? No, what did he do? Call us fucking idiots publicly? So he stands up in front of this fucking crowd. Now it's subtitled. And some people said, well, how do you know the subtitles are right? And I go, I got 50 fucking guys in this building who could tell me whether those subtitles are wrong. I don't think they're trying to fake subtitles. Um. And, and, and so the guy stands up there and he says, very affable guy, is this to a big audience full of people with, 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 uh, with masks on and everything. And he says, for many years now, we have had control of the upper echelon of U.S. politics. I go, what? This, if anyone wants this link, I'll send it. I got it. For many years now, we've had control of the upper echelon of politics. He starts talking about how you do it. He says, if you need something, you give them a wad of money. And the audience laughs. And he says, if that doesn't work, you give them another wad of money. Right. <laughs> the audience laughs again. And then he says, and then Trump gets elected, and we lost control. And he said, we put pressure on insiders to get control of Trump. And they said they couldn't do it. And so then he says, he finishes by saying, and now Biden's in power and we're okay again. And the audience laughs. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a public lecture. Why the fuck did they release that? Who is the consumer of that lecture? Because if that was, if it's true, which I have no reason to doubt because he's one of Xi Jinping's right-hand men, is that like a, a nuclear shot across the bow of somebody? What is that? And I, I just don't know, but it's a stunner. It's right up there with the, you know, the uh, World Economic Forums, you know, you're not gonna own anything video, right? There was a treasure. And so, so, so we, have a, we have a crisis of authority in the world now. If their lips are moving, they're lying is the problem. And I can't name an organization that I trust, FEMA. Let's put FEMA on the list, how bad are they? And now Biden's putting forth, you know, we handed out $2 trillion. $2 trillion, which I was, I read somewhere. My math said it was about 20000 per per taxpayer. I read somewhere that said 40000 But But the gist is I didn't sign off on that. My grad students were doing great and are paid well to be grad students. They're all getting checks. And most importantly, 95% of the goddamn money is just going into the pockets of some very big interests. And, and we're going to pay for this. People say, oh, no, we won't be taxed. You'll be, you got to pay for it, period. you got to pay for it. You don't create wealth by printing goddamn money. Someone has to pay. It's going to come out of depreciation of the dollar, inflation. I, people talk to those two like they're two different things. To me, they're not. Um, it, it's going to come in terms of inefficiencies. It's just gluttonous. People feeding at the trough. Why do the elites like the bailouts? Because every time there's a bailout, they get stinking rich. And now he's offering $4 trillion for an infrastructure bill. That holy cow, there's more drool pouring out of people's mouths right now because of the fucking graft and corruption that will come when, 400, when $4 trillion federal dollars starts pouring into industries and interest groups that want a piece of that pie. I, 
We've gotten numb to them. These numbers are huge numbers. We've gotten numb to it. So who do you blame? I still blame the Fed. They're the only guys with their finger on a trigger that could that could that could deal with this problem. They're the only guys who could stand up and say, "Don't do this. We are going to tighten up the money supply on you if you do this." And they're choosing not to. The Federal Reserve, JPO, and the Jets. They are, they should have all their degrees removed from them. They're so fucking stupid or corrupt. I don't know which I ask people, do they, are they, are they delusional? Are they stupid? Do they not understand? I don't get it. I am positive as a chemist, the shit they say is bullshit. I'm positive. I just don't know if they know it's bullshit. What do you think? I don't know. Did you see our commander in chief, uh, beef it on the Air Force One stairs or what? Well, that was funny. I mean, it's not funny. I don't have any against Biden. I, I, I think he'd be one of these guys. It's like Clinton, kind of fun to have a beer with. Clinton, the beer would probably come with chicks. But um, him falling on the steps, we've all fallen like that. Three times in a row shows that he's old. But, you know, I could do that. But but the, the point being is we don't know who's running the country. Right, right. We really don't. And now, do you think it's Harris? I don't think it's Harris at all. So who is it if it's not him and it's not Harris? I don't know. You know, people say Obama, but I got to figure Obama was a puppet too, so I don't know. They're probably people whose names we've never heard of. I, I right. just don't know. This gets me into the land of crazy. Right? This is this is a direction that I, God, you know, Christine Lagarde, for all we know, is running the damn country. Who knows? That wouldn't surprise me, actually. Well, there's somehow, you know, I used to wonder if the economic system was being run by sort of an overseeing group, the Lagarde type people, or or if it was like this slime mold made up of millions of cubicles of 20 somethings just randomly migrating around wreaking destruction. <laughs> and I don't know which it is. Yeah, I don't know, but you got to figure the central banks are at the at the middle of it, right? Well, I, I put them at the middle of it only because I've not heard them do anything to try to curb it. So they are responsible if they don't speak up, right? This this reminds me like, you know, the, the, the Asian guys that got beat up by a couple of guys recently, right? There's the, the they're now trying to create a new race war. It's 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 other 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 people on Asians. The media's trying to whip that up. I would like to think personally that if I saw some guy doing that, that I would either stop him or die trying. And I'm always amazed when someone's just sitting there with a fucking camera instead of dropping the camera and yeah. going back in the bastard. Yeah. I know you would. Yeah, I would do the same thing. And I, I would just, you know, you do the best roundhouse punch you got. You hope he goes down. You kick him in the face with everything you got, and then you curb stomp him and hope that he's finally down. Yeah, and hope that even watching, even watching the videos, even watching the videos, you just want to jump in and, and do something like the old and woman, the, the, the woman that got attacked, and the fucking security guards are just standing there watching this guy trample this old woman. It's just ridiculous. I want to know that I would risk my life to do that, and I think I would, but you don't know until you face it. That's true too. But I would like to think I'm the guy who'd go in and just start laying haymakers to the best I can. And I'm an old man now, so, you know, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. But I learned as a – I remember started in kindergarten. I learned if you're going to get into a fight, make sure you land the first blow. 
Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, some big, huge kid came at me on the bus when I was in kindergarten. I planted a fist right in the middle of his chops, and he went down for the count in kindergarten. And I said, wow, that worked. Note to self, drop him with one blow if you can. Oh, well, yeah, that's always the that's always the strategy, right? You know, really also, that's what you if do. you have to fight, you don't you never want to fight. I know, you know, nobody ever wants to fight. At least people yeah, that no I question. train with, people that are actual fighters, they don't they're not interested in going out and just fighting people for no because reason. You get hurt. Well, you get and hurt. they're you know they they understand fighting. They understand they that they understand it. They know that they're dangerous if they want to be. You know, and so there's no need. And it's just, it's a hassle. It's a fucking, nobody wants to get involved in confrontation. I try to specifically avoid you it. You also but, can lose on both ends of it. You can lose by getting your ass kicked, <laughs> and you can lose by kicking someone's ass and ending up in a court. Correct, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right, yep. But I tell you, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose the court one if I can help it. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather be in court with all my teeth explaining why I had to beat the living snot out of the guy. You know, when I got canceled, I slept with a shotgun. Just I, I, was, get, I was getting death threats. This recent time? Yeah, the one in June. The one we talked about earlier. The, the Buffalo one. And now look, so, I, I would have said that you were paranoid, uh, you know, maybe years ago, no, but, but not, not anymore. Not anymore. I don't think you're paranoid. Well, I was in the middle of the riots, so there was no way of knowing if, if the cancellation would turn violent. So I slept with a shotgun, and, and, and if someone had showed up and presented risk, I, I am confident they would have been a smudge mark on my wall. I think if you live in a city now, you know, I live in Philadelphia. I think if you live in a city now, you have to. I mean, you, you have to. I mean, it's just so things can just turn on a dime so quickly and become so incendiary right. at any moment that – I don't know, you know. I like I said, I I have had a concealed carry permit since, uh, you know, when I was living in the suburbs as well too, just due to the nature of the work that I do, and just because I'm paranoid in general. But uh, but I think if you live in a city now, you know, the cities have just become post-apocalyptic. Uh, I don't even know what the hell you call them. I mean, they're in terrible shape. The well, that's the other problem we face because the cities because of the riots and because of zoom and various because of COVID, all these things, the cities are getting depopulated, which, which in the end may create a better world. Right. But the problem is the transition to that better world is going to be unbelievably rocky because the entire fabric of the economic pulse of the cities is going to change abruptly. Right. Yeah. And, and here's one, let's go with this one. There's all these people talking about how we're going to spring out of this goddamn COVID thing and have an economic boom. I don't buy it at all. The reason I don't buy it is because we took about 10 million people and took their jobs away for good. Right. Now, these are not jobs in which someone had a job working somewhere and they got laid off and now they're going to get rehired. We destroyed their business. That means that there's 10 million jobs we have to create from scratch. Yep. Uh, all you got to do is walk down Chestnut Street or South Street in Philadelphia, compare it to what it looked like two years ago. That's all you have to do. Just take inventory. How many places are closed versus how many places are open? There's just, you know. And the other thing we did is we got people with bank accounts full of money, but we also have people who totally depleted their savings. I, my argument is the people with the bank accounts aren't necessarily going to spring forward and go wild because one of the things we also learned during the during the shutdowns is 
we don't need anywhere near the amount of shit that society thought they needed. We thought we needed a barber and then realized we don't. We thought we needed movie theaters. We don't. There's a lot of shit we don't need. And we discovered, we thought we needed takeout every night. And then people learned how to cook. Right. Right. That's and so a very good, I think good, there's a lot of, I think the footprint, I think our footprint has changed fundamentally. And I think boomers who for years I've been saying are broke, right? They're heading for retirement and they don't have enough goddamn money. We were on a roid rage in the markets. We're still on it. If that thing dips, they don't have enough money. Uh, Those yeah. guys have learned how to live more cheaply now. And I think, therefore, we are not going to, this economy is not spring-loaded for a huge rally. I was listening to Ray Dalio the other day, and he was doing his macro pontification. I find him to be so shallow. He's got to be good at something because, uh, because he's made a fortune, but it's not macroeconomics, in my opinion. And he was talking about the boom coming out of March being very much like the boom coming out of, the U.S. in 1933, and I, I'm listening to this, I'm going, Ray, there is nothing between those two setups that are related. Nothing. There is nothing in which that those two are like each other. Yeah, and the way that the cities are being overseen isn't helping either. You know, the fact, right. the fact that there was, a, there was a rally going on a couple weeks ago in Philadelphia – I went out to get lunch and there were people marching down the street and it was after uh, after a shooting, I think, in Northern Liberties. And there was a rally where people were, you know, it wasn't a social justice rally. It was just an end violence, an end gun violence rally, which I can support. And the beef that they had was that the mayor, you know, wasn't doing enough. And one of the things that the guy said was, hey, you can lock everybody down, the guy on the megaphone, you can lock everybody down for COVID, but you can't let the police do their job and, you know, get these illegal guns off the streets. And I said, well, that makes a lot of fucking sense, actually, you know? And so you, the inept uh, the inept politicians, many of whom are on the left, some of whom are on the right, but, you know, your, your guys like de Blasio, your guys like Mayor Kenny in Philadelphia... I mean, they, they have to get wise. They have to get wise to, to what's going on. They have to allow the police to do their jobs. And they have to get serious about protecting their citizens and keeping the city clean and orderly and civil. Well, then there's the other thing about... Um, that, used to be what being a mayor, that used to be what being a mayor was about, you know? Keeping order. We're talking about bailing out groups. You know, the average person who got their job ripped out of their fingers and needed a bailout totally sympathetic i happen to be able to carry a salary the whole way but but there are people who just their lives were destroyed by the shutdowns you can't force a person to stay home without somehow compensating them but 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 there's also just bailouts that are going on that are ridiculous so for example um i thought the defined benefit plans pension plans were doomed Whereas the defined contribution plans were not, although they were in trouble because we're in a bubble. So if they cut in half, they have a problem. But I thought, you know, defined benefit plans, these guys are way, way, way overpromised. Now we get the COVID. Now we're bailing the shit out of all the defined benefit plans. My tax dollars are my painful inflation in the future coming to pay for it. Whatever mechanism we pay for, we will pay for it are covering for states that promise shit they never should have promised. That's not fair. And 
I get the student debt problem. I really understand that we've got a generation that is so screwed. But you also can't just say, okay, never mind, because there's a bunch of people who, who save dearly to pay for that goddamn thing and sacrifice right. dearly. So there's no way to be fair. Then I'm reading an article the other day, L.A. County. Here's one for you. L.A. County has something like 85 lifeguards, which sounds like a lot of lifeguards for the county, paid over a quarter of a million a year. Do you really want to bail out California? Do you really want to bail out those losers? No, no, no. I don't want to bail out Illinois. I don't want to bail out Kentucky. It's not, it, sh it shouldn't be on me that those states ran themselves into the ground. I feel bad for the and, people. And the whole point is the more efficiently the states are run, the more people that they're going to bring in, the more tax revenue they'll bring in. So it's supposed to, you know, the market is supposed to sort out which states financially do well and which states financially don't do well. The fact that also you know no people on the East Coast should be bailing out the, the mistakes of people on the West Coast is ridiculous. So, and then, you know, we bail out the airlines. Galloway pointed out that the airlines had gone through 66 bankruptcies since the year 2000. We bailed them out again. They should learn how to run a business not get bailed out. And then some guy, some CEO runs Ryanair, had a fortress balance sheet and, and, and had cash on the balance sheet, was ready for the rainy day, and he gets to watch his competition get bailed out and cannibalize the business that he would have been scooping yeah, it's up. Crazy. It's crazy. And it's crazy. And this is, again, the crisis of confidence in the authorities. That's our problem. Yeah, I think that's a good way to end it. Mr. Column, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking an hour and a half coming on and shooting the shit with me, man. It's been too long. I'm glad we were able to catch up. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Will you come back on, uh, come back on soon, maybe in a couple of months, and uh, hopefully we'll be – Hopefully things will be a little bit back closer to normal. What's, but but who knows? Yeah, right. We'll be wearing ten masks. Who knows? What's amazing is how quickly we can build up two hours worth of shit to scream about. Yeah, I know. I know. Right? <laughs> it could be this time tomorrow that there's another two hours worth of shit to rail on. I know. I know. Such is the case every day too. So all right, Colum, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Okay. That Adios. was the one, the only Dave Colum, Betty R. Miller, professor of organic chemistry. Little community college called Cornell. You ever heard of it? <clears throat> Happy to have him back on. Got a couple of great guests coming up this month, too. Thank you, my patrons, again, for continuing to support the podcast. But for right now, I am out. Peace.